A year ago, warehouses were being snapped up by businesses racing to keep up with the massive surge in online retail triggered by COVID lockdowns. The expectation was that as the pandemic eased, so would the demand for industrial real estate. But as it turns out, that is far from the case. I've asked two JLL experts to tell us more. My name is Matthew Lee. Uh, I jointly lead the industrial occupier services team here at JLL. Uh, at the moment, the biggest challenge that we're facing is quite simply that we're, we're running out of stock. We're finding that tenants are coming to us and the traditional number of options that they would have to choose from or to consider is just simply not there. My name is Alan Friedman. I lead the supply chain services team here at JLL. We help our clients really understand what their requirements are from a supply chain perspective and then translate that into property requirements. Most of our clients only do this sort of once every 10 or 20 years. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of this JLL Perspectives podcast. So, Matt, the industrial market has thrown you a bit of a curveball this year. What's the story? Yeah, look, certainly a, a curveball is probably the right term, Rebecca. So, obviously, we, we came off um, the 2020 COVID year and certainly the expectation was a, a real slowdown. But we had a, a pretty unique situation whereby the actual inquiry volume sped up and the only thing that slowed down was the delivery of, uh, of new stock into the market. So what we're experiencing right now is almost a perfect storm. We've got arguably the, the strongest demand characteristics in the market that there has been for a long time and a significant shortage of supply. Um, you couple that in Sydney with, with a, a shortage of land as well in the near term. What you're finding, as I touched on earlier, is that we're, we're really short on options for people and we're almost finding situations now where it's a, a bit of a fight between tenants for, the, for some of the better offerings that are in the market. So peak COVID, we all jumped online to shop, including people who had never shopped online before, but the expectation was that there would be some let up in that demand by now. Is that right? We're seeing everything from you know, traditional groceries, so your Woolworths and your Coles, et cetera, expanding rapidly right through to... To, to newer players in the market, so whether they be coming from Asia or, or certainly overseas, looking to set up operations here in Australia to distribute uh, products that are purchased online, and they can be small, medium, large, you know, cheap or expensive, it doesn't really matter. But I think the, the one thing that, that probably wasn't expected is, A, how quickly the adoption has happened, and B, probably that, that there was a real pause on supply, as I said, those things probably weren't predicted. Obviously, no one could predict exactly what would happen with COVID. But, yeah, it's we're certainly finding ourselves in a unique situation where people are now trying to fast-track developments, fast-track planning, et cetera, to get product into the market to capture some of this demand. Matt, just expand on the profile of some of those businesses looking for space and how it's changed. The market, the cross-section of the market at the moment is really interesting. So, if anything, COVID sort of, really helped to sort of streamline the various market segments and, and give us a, a much clearer picture. So obviously off the back of COVID, the, the need for food, the need for pharma has been, you know, expansive. So we, we're seeing a significant number of those requirements. Uh, people's ability to take, to use data has, has continued to, uh, to grow exponentially. So we're doing a lot of data centre work. 
And then we're also seeing that e-commerce piece, that last mile type piece that we talked about. There's a whole range of names there. There's people that, that certainly I wasn't familiar with until the last 12 months or even six months. So Winnet that uh, took a large portion of the Dexas development at Loop, uh, which is a, a Chinese uh, Chinese originated company. There's also groups like um, ECOF, or again another Chinese uh, e-commerce provider. And then look, the, the traditional names are still very much there. So, Alan, what's your take on the industrial supply squeeze? It's quite fascinating. So what we saw 12 months ago, everyone thought the world was going to come to an end. Um, demand through retail skyrocketed. Um, at the same time, industrial occupiers, their supply chains fell apart. So with the first lockdown in China, um, it had a huge impact on getting components that things people want to sell or that people need to make things. Um, it had a real impact on the supply chain, so people couldn't get hold of finished goods. And that, that coupled with an increase in sales, um, especially as people were working from home and coming forward, um, inventories wore down really, really quickly. And they're still not quite recovered from that. And we're now seeing some of our major customers, they've got record inventory holdings, but they've still got significant out of stocks because they're just trying to get their hands on whatever they can get. They're building up their safety stock. Um, the just-in-time philosophy, philosophy that was um, people were working with before has really been put to the test. And people are saying they're going, it's not great having a two-week really streamlined manufacturing window when we see how a disruption breaks our supply network. Coupled in with that is that um, the way people are working is changing. So at first we saw a rush for the home office and um, people buying computers, webcams, monitors, tables, office chairs, things like that. Um, there was a question whether that's going to go down or not. And we're now seeing as people are returning to work, um, a mixed, a lot more mixed platforms where there's a few of our clients where they spend two days a week in the office, um, three days work from home. So we've still got this aspect that there's a lot going on at home. With that comes any of our customers that deal with home improvements, whether it's furniture, tiling, appliances, anything in the home, their sales are still skyrocketing and they're still coming and going, give me more space, I need more inventory. Um, what's holding them back from selling more is getting the stock. And then when they can secure stock, they want to bring in as much as possible. And that's leading into the storm that Matt was talking about of customers coming in going, I need to get quality industrial space. We talk about e-commerce growing and you know people needing more warehousing space. The people that deliver the e-commerce boxes, uh, Aramax Careers, Australia Post, these type of people, they've seen massive um, uptake in demand. So they've, they've actually needed to a, get more than more 
all through their facilities in a much faster time period. They're reaching their design limits with their existing facilities a lot more, and they're rolling out new strategies very quickly to cope with this increased demand um, and be able to offer the flexibility to the market as well as just handle the greatly increased parcel volume. So in Australia, along the eastern seaboard, industrial vacancy is really low at about 3%. Matt, how are you navigating that on behalf of your clients um, who are, as Alan says, at capacity in their existing space because they're holding on to more stock and dealing with elevated levels of online sales? The short answer to that question is that there's a lot of dependency on whether people have an absolutely unquestionable need for something at a certain time. So, for example, if someone is in the third-party logistics space and they have a contract that needs to be filled by a certain date, then they're really in a position where they have to take whatever they can get. So that that's one style of negotiation. And then, obviously, we're in the race with a number of other tenants at that time, and, and we certainly do whatever we can to best position our client. What we're seeing more and more of now and, and the work that we do hand in hand with Alan and his team is we're seeing that while some people have a requirement immediately, some people also have a requirement for the perfect outcome. And that perfect outcome might mean a delay, it might mean a lease renewal, it might mean a little pause while Alan and, and his team do their work and, and determine exactly what that business needs to deliver the, the ultimate operational model. So I was looking at JLL's recent industrial investment review and outlook report, and I was surprised actually at the supply-demand issue, given that the amount of warehouse space that was built in Australia was actually more than ever at 1.4 million square metres. However, I did also learn that demand is more than double that, and that for every $1 billion increase in online sales, an additional 70,000 square metres of warehouse space is needed. That's massive. In any case, um, I understand that at least in Sydney, there are actually acres and acres of land available in the outer west. So for businesses, is it just a matter of waiting until that's built up? Look, um, that's a good question. So certainly for for large-scale warehousing, um, you're looking at that Eastern Creek, Erskine Park has been a focal point in Sydney for quite some time. And the natural progression now is between Erskine Park down to the airport and you, would, you wouldn't be... Uh, have to look too far, I should say, to find the press that there's there's hundreds of hectares of industrial land that's either zoned or will be zoned over the next few years. So the land supply in outer Western Sydney discussion will change significantly. Those supply numbers you talked about earlier, Rebecca, that's an interesting one because we're kind of now in the in, in between. So those supply numbers for 2020, that's okay because a lot of that was conceived before COVID and what we're seeing now is these these the numbers now, like as in late, 21, late 2020 through to mid-21, are going to be the ones when the COVID slowdown on development was. So I think you're going to really see the next couple of JLL research reports will reflect that. Um, as for Kemp's, I mean, look, we're running four or five or probably more um, large-scale industrial requirements in Sydney, and I would say a good chunk of those are going to end up in, in Kemp's Creek region. 
Um, that being said, even Kemp's Creek, the land has only just been zoned not that long ago. It's not yet serviced. The roads aren't finished, and they've already concluded a number of major leasing transactions in the region um, from anywhere from sort of 10, 20 up to 80,000 square metres. Um, goes to show you that the demand is definitely there. Um, those will be 2022, late 22 delivery pro uh, project in terms of built form. But a lot of our clients are focused on being closer to the city rather than further away. Kemp's Creek is still many, many kilometres from the city. And whilst it's logistically a good spot for north-south, um, as in delivery to Brisbane and Melbourne, that is, to deliver stuff to Metro Sydney from Kemp's Creek would be a very, very expensive exercise. So what we are starting to see now is the, the regeneration of, of, of uh, brownfield sites. So we've seen Dexas do it at South Granville with Loop. We're seeing um, Mervac do it with Switchyard at Auburn and they're having some fantastic success as Dexas did. Um, so we're, we're really seeing a, a push now where people are starting to be prepared to pay for that privilege, which hasn't happened for quite some time. So we are starting to see rents sort of, you know, well, 150 plus comfortably in some of those inner regions and even creeping up to high ones for some of the smaller space. And that's purely because people want that proximity to the city. They want to benefit from the West Connects and all those new infrastructure upgrades. One of the ways of solving the limited supply is basically putting four warehouses on top of each other. Goodman have a DA in Alexandria with a multi-level warehouse. In Singapore, Japan, for example, JLL's been helping clients with multi-level warehousing for a while. For last mile in New York, a lot of repurposing of what's called infill sites into multi-storey warehousing, flexible use, multi-tenant. So the ability for businesses to make that last mile delivery quickly is really at the crux of decision-making. There, there's a couple of factors there. Anything time critical has to do with repair or trade. So, you know, where I'm looking at the laptop that we're doing this interview on. If, if that breaks, the laptop manufacturer has a service level agreement to get that fixed within a certain number of hours. So having that part available and distributed to the right point within a certain time frame is critical. Um, you've also got a lot of trades where, you know, they, they need to get to their, the parts on their sites in a time critical manner. Regarding consumers and the e-com, it, it's quite a, People talk about the same day delivery promise and bits and pieces, whether it's, you know, I want same day delivery or I want next day delivery. The, the really successful e-com players, they deliver to promise. So it's more important that if you say it's going to arrive tomorrow, it does arrive tomorrow. Right. Um, you can even say it's going to arrive in a week's time as long as it does arrive in a week's time. Um, if we look at someone like Amazon and why they're growing so much, um, it's not only that they have mastered the delivery to promise, but that promise, that time is very, very small. And the smaller that time window becomes, the easier it becomes for people to order online and the easier it becomes for them to do their next order. So, 
I've ordered stuff on Amazon at 9 p.m. at night and received at 11 a.m. the next morning. You start going, that's easier than walking to the shops. Matt, are developers happily going out and building warehouses without having tenant commitments? What are the prospects for speculative development? I suppose rents have got to be in the right place. It's been a regular feature of the Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane property markets for quite some time. So if anything, I think you might see a boom in in speculative development in the short to medium term off the back of all this demand. Uh, I guess what's interesting is the two factors that we touched on before. So one, if it's last mile, infill, close to town kind of development, then we're really seeing developers needing to push some pretty strong rents, um, probably even the levels that haven't really been achieved before. So that's your first challenge there. And whereas if you're looking out in that market out in the outer west that we talked about, I think the the, old, the unknown piece is that onset of new land supply and what that does. Um, so if you look at Kemp's Creek, for example, you've got half a dozen or so of the best developers in, in the market all going to be pitching very, very similar big box industrial products into the same market in the same suburb. So it's going to be interesting to see which strategies those parties take in order to to sort of see them through the development cycle. So um, there is one or two parties that are a little further ahead with their planning, but that might that may benefit them. But yeah, certainly the rent growth thing is really interesting. So I think if you're looking at a true outer west, so again, Erskine Park, Eastern Creek and surrounds, for those agents that have been around a long time, that the rents really have only shifted five, 10 bucks a metre over the last probably 15 years. So to say there's been massive rent growth would be would be sort of a, a not true. But we are looking at, again, a situation certainly in the medium term before that Kemp's Creek supply is fully realised that there's going to have to be some pressure on rents and there's going to have to be some pressure on incentives. But again, at the moment, we're, we're looking at a, a really unique set of market conditions that we haven't seen for quite some time. All right, so just a question for you both to wrap up. Alan, what's one thing we're really going to see influence or shake up the industrial sector? The the biggest change that I've seen over the last, I'm going to say, couple of years, and this is going forward as well, is what's happening from the data intelligence side. So people are able to transform sales data, delivery data, into predictive um, predictive assumptions, right? Artificial intelligence is coming through and they're able to better predict the requirements in the future. And this comes into how much inventory should I have? What product should I sell? Who am I targeting it to? Where is it coming through? And that's feeding back into the marketplace that where basically the majority of people are holding more SKUs to focus their offering at more individualised people. The ranges they're storing to, to support that is growing and that's impacting the space requirements in the industrial space. And Matt, what about you? No secret, the, the biggest thing that's, that's impacting us or the, the biggest sort of trend that we're going to see is just the importance of supply chain. I mean, that, that's not a new statement to make, but I think the, the level of importance that it 
that is required as decisions are made on industrial and logistics centered businesses. It's really all about supply chain and understanding that supply chain. Now that can incorporate everything from you know where warehouses are, how product moves to and from them, automation, et cetera, et cetera. And quite simply, we're, we're seeing that the groups that aren't across that or, or aren't up to speed with where the industry's at with that kind of thing are really way, way behind. And then the other piece, as you've, you've already touched on, I think from a true property sense, is gonna be the ability to deliver in-fill locations. So I think if you went and asked, again, the cross-section of the top half a dozen developers, they're all looking on, on the lookout for in-fill locations because they know that demand is there. So it's not a, it's not the same demand for a big box in Kemp's Creek where you've got different different competing parties. If you could source yourself a good infill location, so for example, Logos at Villawood, probably a location that hasn't been that uh, at the forefront, I should say, of people's thinking, and they've, they've done really really well. Good products, good developer, and and that's being considered an infill location. That's Matt Lee and Alan Friedman there from JLL's industrial and supply chain teams. And I'm Rebecca Kent. I hope you took away a few nuggets from this episode. For future nuggets, please do tap the subscribe or follow buttons on whatever platform you're listening on. This will mean future episodes will very conveniently just appear in your podcast list. If you want to see what Matt and Alan look like, check out their photos and biographies, along with past guests of this podcast at jll.com.au forward slash perspectives dash podcast. Mm-hmm.